Let me ask you, are you someone with hair? Well, if you answered yes to that question, do I have the product for you? Visit ModernMammals.com and use code MAYO for 10% off because the goal with Modern Mammals is to try and keep your hair and head natural. Since I've been using it, that's exactly what I've experienced. I very much prefer it. I don't know if I'm ever going to switch back. Probably not, to tell you the truth. And this means that it doesn't distort your pH balance and natural oils like shampoo would. Unlike shampoo, the products don't have a harsh detergent that suds up and dries out your head and hair. It's just lighter than traditional shampoo. And unlike conditioners, it doesn't leave hair limp and frizzy. Like, you don't want that Seinfeld in the shower like Rory McIlroy had it once too, where it's just like a, a mop on your head. You don't want that. And if you use modern mammals, that's not going to happen. It's designed to make your hair feel thicker. And my hair at the moment feels so thick, you can't even pull it out. Plus, the products are easy to rinse out, so there's no leftover residue to weigh hair down. So, Go to ModernMammals.com and use code MAYO for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code MAYO. Don't forget to use my promo code MAYO so they know I sent you. More details in the description. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, brought to you by DraftKings 2020 U.S. Open DraftKings picks and preview. If you want to dig into all of the stats and use all of the customizable tools, I suggest you go to FantasyNational.com. And if you use FantasyNational.com slash Mayo, you get yourself 20% off. It's Major Week. There are some gigantic prizes. I know NFL is taking over at the moment. This is a fucking golf major, people. Let's get excited for this. It's going to be a morning of golf, an afternoon of football on Sunday. It's going to be glorious. And even on Thursday, we're going to have the morning with the U.S. Open, the Thursday night game on the go. You're going to have golf in the morning on Saturday, college football on the go. If you're into, like, the NBA and NHL, good for you. But, you know, I'm going to be concerned about the golf because there's a major going on right now. Smash! the like button for the video and give me your favorite sleeper play in the $6,000 area on DraftKings. And don't be afraid to subscribe and rate the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast five stars. You can already check out my course breakdown show and statistical research that I did with Justin Ray from the 15th Club. That is up on the Mayo Media Network YouTube channel right now. Go check that out in the Listener's League link in the description of this video and podcast. Three max entry, $15 to play, no Rake, best tournament on DraftKings. Suggest you reserve your spot now because, as we all know, the spots in the Pat Mayo Experience DraftKings Open Golf Listeners League go very, very quickly. Enough of that. Let's get into it. Joining me, as they do for all of the majors, first up from Golf Digest, from <laughs> CBS, from the Rick Run Good YouTube channel, uh, on the line right now, Rick Gaiman. What's up? At US Open. This is great. Hey, congrats on the on the new network, man. All all good things, I hope. 
Well, I saw that you had the Rick Run Good YouTube channel, and you were like, Pat, I make $5 million a year. I was like, <laughs> I got to get on some of this YouTube money. Yeah, at least five million bucks a year. No, uh, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> and the third member of the team from awesomeo.com. He's already sweating college football. It's Ben Raza. What's up? How much? Great time of the year. Busy time of the year, no doubt about it. But uh, I couldn't be more excited for this. It's right in my backyard. I was supposed to go to this tournament. That's not happening. But I'm really, really pumped to break down Wingfoot. Well, let's kick it off uh, with the, I guess, most pressing news from the U.S. Open. Brooks Kepka has withdrawn. Ben, this has to be glorious news for you because he can't win this year, which means you can win. Oh, I, I tweeted out the other day, I am live for the first time in three or four years going into a U.S. Open. I couldn't be more excited. Uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. Normally, I have that weekend off, but I might have to pay attention for 72 holes for a change. Yeah, and you got to do that, and you're going to have these awesome DraftKings lineups, and then you're going to have all of your NFL lineups. Are you playing daily college fantasy? You can't play college football, can you, in New York? So I have to drive uh, across the border to Connecticut. It's great. I get Chick-fil-A. I put my lineups in there, get a little uh, spicy chicken deluxe and come back. So it's annoying, but it also has a good payoff that I get lunch every Thursday. Uh, Winged Foot, for the first time since 2006, is going to be hosting the U.S. Open. If you don't remember Winged Foot, it's where Phil put it in the tent and lost to Jeff, Jeff Ogilvy. All of the scores well over par that week, too. Jeff Ogilvy became one of the very few people ever to win a golf tournament. Just not even a major, but a golf tournament shooting four rounds not better than par. Because um, this is going to be an incredibly difficult course. So, Rick, when you think about Wingfoot, we've loaded it up on FantasyNational.com right now, what we project the scorecard to be. Once we get the official scorecard, we'll put it in. But we have all the 2006 stats loaded into the system right now, and this is going to be a bloodbath, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be carnage. I mean, all the reports out of uh, out of New York are, are talking about carnage, potentially an, an over par winning score, which can change, obviously. But I mean, you have to remember, and I don't want to geek out uh, too much on this, but this is an architectural's dream. I mean, this this course is phenomenal, but it was designed, you know, 100 years ago. And some of the greens pitch from back to front seven or eight feet worth <laughs> of difference. And, and that's when the stimp was running at like a nine. I mean, it's going to run at like a 13 this week. If you are above the Hole, you're absolutely dead. You're going to run it by 10, 11 feet, have to come back up the hill. It's it's going to be a bloodbath. We're going to have some uh, super high scores and and it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I love this once a year. Yeah, I mean, we just saw it like two weeks ago at the BMW Championship, True. too. And this is going to be an even harder test. I was way off on how the difficulty of that tournament was going to play. I didn't realize that, that Mike Davis and the USGA were setting up at Olympia <laughs> Fields. I mean, it's funny because the last time they had set up Olympia Fields, it wasn't Mike Davis, but it was the USGA. It played super easy. And they were like, no more of that. Let's make it as hard as possible. And that's going to be the key this week. So for DraftKings strategy, Ben, knowing that like the winning score could be plus five or plus two, that puts a huge emphasis on finishing position over what we would normally target in terms of DraftKings points, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, normally a percentage of every player's points comes first off from bonuses, from streaks and for under 70 bonuses. I don't think we're going to have to worry about that too much. <laughs> then the majority of your points come from raw points. Obviously, players are going to score raw points, but they're just going to be significantly less. So the total percentage, if you come in first, uh, those placement points are going to be massive and even working down, of course, it's just so important to actually finish high because you're not going to be able to outscore your placement. It could be a detriment having holes remaining late in this tournament. Rick, when you got the pricing and just 
initial impressions on it? Did it make you think like, hey, there is 156 players in this field, and this is going to be the most difficult field all year long, the most difficult tournament to get six of six players through the cut because it is top 60 in ties at the U.S. Open. So we found that you know, top top 65 in ties, you know, that was brutal <laughs> enough. That's leading to like 2.52% six of six percentage. Like there's a decent chance if like one or two of the popular plays misses that we're looking at sub one six of six percent. So would that lead you to balance or do you say it's hard enough to get six of six? Let's go stars and scrubs. Yeah, I actually think um, I've been kind of leaning towards stars and scrubs. Now we are we are days away from having to actually make these decisions, but uh, I think stars and scrubs is interesting because yeah, there there is actually a weird scenario, and this might be on the extreme side of it. But if things do get really wild on the weekend, Ben's right. Like holes in hand might be a detriment. Like you could have a really good five of six, and your guy who missed the cut is not losing points on the weekend. Like that's going to happen if this turns into a bloodbath. Guys might lose strokes on a Saturday or a Sunday. It might be a bit extreme uh, for that to actually happen, but I I do think just because of the way how difficult we expect this to play, how how few lineups are going to get six of six through. I would rather load up on some of the guys that have the, the larger percentage of the win equity because those placement points are going to be so critical and then just, you know, kind of throw darts down at the bottom. And if they happen to miss the cut, I'll convince myself it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I was kind of leaning the same way too. But then I started looking at like all of the guys that I really like for this tournament outside of like you know, the Dustin Johnsons and the John Roms, like the clear favorites of the tournament. Like the next level of like player that I really like is kind of in that like low nine, low eight territory. Then I'm like, yeah, if I can just make six guys through there, they have a higher <laughs> cut percentage. Then I'm going to miss out on like Dustin Johnson who's going to win by like eight shots somehow. Uh, him and Rom are just going to run away with it. Because I do think that there's going to be sort of a want to jam in DJ and Rom when it comes down to it. And the only way you can do that is by playing Stars and Scrubs. Yeah, I mean, you, you you look at what those guys have done over the past month, and and Rom specifically, who has not only won twice, but he's done it on like the two most difficult courses that we've definitely seen in the restart, and, and two of the more difficult courses that we've seen um, this year. And then you get DJ, who's literally the hottest guy on the planet, and might just win this golf tournament by five or six shots. So there, there's definitely going to be. Um, a desire to want to jam those guys in. I completely agree with that. And I couldn't, I couldn't argue it, Pat, because they're the best players on the planet right now. And if you can afford to get one or I don't know if you can get both of them in there without going super crazy. um, I I couldn't blame you for it. Uh, So this course is going to play over 7,450 yards, 7,477 yards to be exact. It's a par 70. Uh, Usual U.S. Open setup. Obviously, Gary Woodland is the defending champion, but I'm not going to be looking at Pebble Beach. I'm not going to be looking at Aaron Hills when I do my U.S. Open research. I think that looking back two years, then looking back four years, um, whether it's going to be at Shinnecock or whether it's going to be the PGA Championship at Bethpage or Oakmont, I think, Ben, that those styles of courses are going to be more reminiscent of what we see this week. Oh, there's no doubt. Um, This has the feel, and listen, Rick mentioned this, things can change and we'll see, but at first glance, this has a feel of like the traditional U.S. Open that everybody talks about where the winning score can be over par. It's extremely punishing. The rough is ridiculous. You know, Aaron Hills and, and a couple of these lately have been a little different, so... I'm uh, I'm going to treat it like a, a traditional U.S. Open and plan accordingly because that's that's really what I think we ultimately see here. Um, are you going to really hammer down on a specific type of skill set? I know that's how you like to stack, Ben, is not necessarily. I mean, yes, you're going to do tee times. and We're going to wait for later in the week. If people don't know, I'm going to be doing a live chat noon Eastern time 
on Wednesday, where I'll update my betting card, finalize DraftKings picks, update the ownership, and really talk about the weather, and then take all of your questions. So set a reminder on Mayo Media Network to do that noon Eastern on Wednesday. And me and Feinberg will have the betting show out on Monday evening as well. After I get through all the football, then we'll get to the golf, and then it's back to football, then back to golf. Busy week for old Pat Mayo coming up here. But the skill set stack, like, is there any one skill that you're looking at? Because obviously long and straight is what you want, but there aren't that many guys who do that. Yeah, if you can, if you can find six of those, just do that. But I, I will say that, you know, when you do a, a skill set stack, it's, I think, much more important to look to off the tee than putting. Like, trying to pick six putters that you think are going to gain is almost impossible. But off the tee is so repeatable if you want to say, I'm going to take six guys that are more than likely going to gain off the tee, you can do that. It doesn't mean it's going to work, but at least you're actually getting a skill set that you can group. So I, I may look for some like, you know, distance heavy drivers, maybe some guys like the Fitzpatrick's of the world that gain off the tee without being long sometimes. Uh, things like that that are at least repeatable. Yeah, Rick, is there any sort of skill set? Because in the modeling that I've used, and I went through this on the first look show, when I punched everything to Fantasy National, that I did weight driving distance. But I actually weighted fairways a little bit more. And then I was able to kind of hammer down on, are these difficult to hit fairways? They do seem either average or difficult to hit. The rough is going to be super long. So you can set the different parameters, but I think that keeping it in the fairway and two-putting for, for Two putting for par is the strategy here. And you have to have guys that aren't going to try to overshoot their skis with this. Yeah, no, it's, I think you, you have to play winged foot out of the fairway. You can't play it out of the rough. You have to keep your ball below the hole. You have to be able to control your spin. You can't let it knuckle out of this thick rough and roll to the back of the green. That's when you start staring bogey in the face. So you look at guys who, you know, on paper shouldn't really contend at places like this. Someone like a Brendan Todd who doesn't hit it very far, but he hits a ton of fairways. I mean, look at what he's done at other difficult courses just in the restart. He's got top 25s at what? Mirfield Village, Olympia Fields, Hard. Park. Those are places where putting it in the short grass is critically important. And yeah, he might hit six iron into this to a green that another guy might hit eight iron into, but that's that's his style. He's used to doing that. At least he's doing it out of the fairway. So I, I agree. Distance is always you know a prerequisite for success. It's always handy to have. However, accuracy, being able to control your spin, uh, especially at a at a U.S. Open venue like we're going to get this week, that's going to bite back in a big way. Uh, I think I'm using. That's that metric uh, much more than I ever have. Let's jump in to the pricing. I've already mentioned DJ. I've already mentioned Rom. They are the two highest priced players on DraftKings this week. 11,000. Then you got Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, Xander Shoffley, and Colin Morikawa. In my mind, people are... I don't know if everyone's going to go to Dustin. I'm trying to wrestle with this myself because he's so expensive. And I think that Rom is just as good of an option, but he too is also very expensive. And then people are going to look at like U.S. Open history and the fact that he played really well at the Tour Championship and almost ended up winning, but didn't hit his approaches at all and did it all with putting. Like he's done at the U.S. Open. Most strokes game putting at the U.S. Open over the last three years. Never finished worse than sixth at a U.S. Open ban. You in or out on Xander because I think I might be. I out. mean, it's it's impossible. It's impossible. Like <laughs> this guy. Yeah, you mentioned it. When I look at his statistics, I would be out. And then dare I say, it, like, does he have a formula that's repeatable by just gaining a ton of strokes at U.S. Opens? I, I mean, he is going to gain off the tee. His driver is one of his stronger clubs. But to me, I, I will find the money. Uh, particularly for Justin Thomas, who I don't think is getting a ton of love out there. The putter's been a little cold. Game is in good shape, though. Tita Green, he's been fantastic. 
Uh, and I think he's every bit a, as worthy of being one of these top guys as Ram and DJ this week. Uh, Rick, if I look at strokes gained U.S. Open over the past five years, it's going to spit me out DJ. Brooks would be number one on this list, but he's not playing. Yeah. So you have DJ, Louis, Xander, Reed, and Fleetwood. Those are your top five guys. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unbelievable that some guys can continue to find success at, you know, I mean, obviously it's not the same exact venue, but similar type venues, right? The rough is usually penal. They usually play on the longer side. We've seen Aaron Hill stretched out to like a million yards uh, when they played it there. But it, it's it's interesting. I, I agree with um, I agree with Ben's assessment of Xander, which is like, OK, he goes in and, and rides a hot putter at the tour championship. That's probably not repeatable, but he's usually one of these guys that is so solid in every single category. You throw, you combine that with the history around difficult tracks like the U.S. Open, and you got to love it. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Justin Thomas is interesting, right? He's going to go as far as his putter allows him, and I kind of, I kind of loop him in with with Rory McIlroy as well. Each of them have one thing that's kind of holding them back at the moment. For JT, it's the putter, which we saw at WGC FedEx St. Jude. You can win a golf tournament by losing strokes putting. It's rare, but it happens. And then Rory's thing is is the irons, it's the wedges, it's the approach game that has not been sharp in the restart. I'm much more keen to think that JT gets a decent putting week than I am that Rory kind of flips the script and starts hitting his irons and his wedges to two feet or giving himself enough looks at at birdie or par in this situation. So I agree with Ben. I think JT is kind of, you know, early in the first look of this, uh, kind of the, the overlooked golfer out of the top. It's just going to be that Xander is going to take away so much of the shine from JT. And even looking back, you mentioned that he lost strokes putting at the WGC in Memphis, still won the event. He actually lost 3.2 strokes putting at the Tour Championship. He came in second. So we're now going back to POA. And listen, Northeast POA, different than California POA. But it is the one surface where he tends to putt really well. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And 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 I think to illustrate how important finishing position is going to be, and Justin Thomas is a guy who has so much win equity, he has so much top five equity. You go back to Olympia Field. John Rahm won at Olympia Field. He scored 94 DraftKings points. So think about that. 30 of them came from him winning the golf tournament, 64 from everything else. It might be a lot lower than that this week. So you are really needing those guys that have a lot of that top five uh, equity so that you can just eat up all those finishing position points and, and fly you up the leaderboard. So I guess that brings us to the big conundrum here, Ben, what to do with Rory. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, obviously, listen, I can always make a case for Rory, but when I think of him, U S opens is not exactly when I think of his game. Now, yes, when he gets super dialed in driving the ball, I mean, he can take apart any course, but as Rick said, uh, Rory hasn't been crisp with the irons for a while. And, you know, he's playing okay. He shows sides here and there, but it seems like it never connects. If you tee to green, he's killing it. The putter is cold. He makes some putts after some mistakes, but the game is a little erratic. Now I can make a case for him. No problem. I like JT more, uh, but you know, Rory is kind of just there. I'll, I'll let ownership maybe dictate it for a change rather than just starting with Rory. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to go full fade on Rory. I was big on him at Olympia Fields. I mean, I'm not going to be playing 150 lineups here. I'll probably be playing 20, uh, maybe even just 10, depending on, I mean, it's a $100 millionaire maker, I believe. So I don't know how, how much money I really want to invest in the millionaire maker. I might try to find a lower stakes tournament, maybe a $20 and kind of load up on that. But at the same time, if I'm playing 20 lineups, I you know can't have all of the top end guys. And I really don't know what to do with Dustin or Rom. Like, it feels like if I'm going to use one, I use both. Is that a weird way to play this? So, yeah, I mean, if you do that, 
Oh man, that leaves you sub seven <laughs> K right off the bat. Um, you, it's tough because in a tournament like this, you really need them to actually finish up there. It's not going to be a situation where one of them can come, you know, and outs- again, outscoring your placement is going to be few and far between. So if you do that, if you think they can suck up two top fives, obviously you get the go ahead, but it's a big ask. I'm not, if I had to pick one, I would pick Rom over DJ. I'm not super sold on DJ this week. Uh, do you have a lean between them, Rick? Um, I, I think that graphic that you have up right now kind of tells the story. I mean, John Rahm is 11 to one to win this golf tournament. Dustin Johnson, six and a half to one. I know odds makers are not trying to predict the actual outcome. They're trying to limit their liability and, and spread the money around. But is Dustin Johnson twice as likely to win this golf tournament than John Rahm? I'd say no. John Rahm's only $500 cheaper. That to me is like the value play. DJ's burned me <laughs> countless times in the past month. He's been phenomenal. But when you look at it, kind of what both both of their upside is, which is absolutely winning this golf tournament, which one, uh, you know, the likelihood of them doing that and comparing it to their salary. Like I, I think it's Rom. I think it is. So I think I'm with you guys. I think I would rather start with Justin Thomas. And if I look above $10,000, uh, I mean, it worked for me at the PGA championship. I won a bunch of money, Ben. Why not Morikawa? Doesn't he perfectly fit what you want to do here? Long irons and fairways. Listen, he's shown time and time again, that, he can do, I mean, he's answered every question. I had questions about, can he do it in strong fields? Obviously I had questions. Can he do it in a situation like this? Well, he, he didn't win, but he was fine at the BMW. He showed flashes. It was his off the tee game that really hurt him there. And that's one of the biggest, you know, an outlier. He hasn't lost off the tee basically ever uh, besides that tournament. So I still think the price is a little steep on Morikawa. I'm not going to lie, but he has shown, I mean, especially T to green, long irons, he's among the best in the world. Yeah, just looking at it, Rick, and going through his stats right now, he is sixth in proximity from 175 to 215 from 200 plus, 11th on holes from 400 to 500, 450 to 500 yards since the restart. Those are the seven most difficult holes on the course is that range. I think I just got to trust my guy, Morikawa. And even at the BMW class or championship, it was one opening round that really sunk him. He actually played really well after that. That's right. Yeah, he played himself out of it a bit on Thursday. I, I agree. Ben Ben put it perfectly. He's answered every question. Every time they ring the bell, Colin Morikawa shows up, whether it's winning an alternate field event and someone saying, oh, can he win on the PGA Tour? Yeah, he does that at Workday. Okay, can now, can the game translate to a major championship? Sure, goes out, wins the PGA Championship. I mean, he answers the call every single time. He is the perfect, uh, you know, what we would call course fit, right? A guy who's going to hit it. He, he's not short. He's not the longest guy on tour but he pokes it out there and he hits a ton of fairways and then when you put an iron in his hand he's like one of those iron iron byron machines he's just an absolute robot and his dispersion is it's almost like he's hitting a wedge when he's hitting a six iron the guy's unbelievable now the putter you know it rears its ugly head at times right some of the short putts make you a little bit nervous but he it seems like he's figuring something out on the greens and he's certainly not afraid of Big, big stages, tough fields, tough conditions, no problem for Morikawa at an even 10000 bucks. I mean, it's, it's a pretty good deal. Yeah, if you were to start your lineups, Ben, with Morikawa, 
or even potentially someone lower. It does give you access to oh, one of those balance lineups that I talked about. I don't think that a lot of people are just going to go that route. There's just too much temptation to take one of the top three guys and then take Xander, who I would assume is probably going to be the highest owned player in the entire U.S. Open DraftKings field. So I, I like Morikawa. I like Thomas. And if we dip down in the 9Ks, there's Bryson staring us in the face. It oh, seems man. like he's lost his game a little bit. I need him to get into. I, I need him to win the Masters. So like I don't care really what he does here. This might just be a, a fade situation for me. But like historically, he's played this type of course really really well. But since he's like kind of changed his like Happy Gilmore type game, it's it's not been good. The thing about Bryson and and I've talked about this a little, and I actually feel more confident in saying it now. Is he so technical? It seems like when things get slightly off track, he has maybe a more difficult time getting them back because he just does things so advanced and he's so in-depth. Like he's obviously got a problem with the irons and he's not able to just go back to basics and correct it right now. Then you look at the putter. I mean, I've never seen, he gained 10, he gained 4.8, he lost four, he gained four, he lost four. (laughs) So it's all over the map. It's hit and miss. Uh, You know, he's going to gain off the tee, but it's very hard to trust the guy where the rest of his game is a, a complete mystery every time he tees it up. Yeah, are, are we just going full fade on on Bryson here, Rick? Because it does seem like he's going to be very unpopular and no one's going to use him. Yeah, I mean, here's the issue. You, you can't play wings foot out of the rough. And, and you can bomb it as far as you want. You, it's all about angles. It's all about being able to control your spin. You cannot do that out of the rough. The, uh, the approach game has been weak. I, I, love him, I love him at Augusta, right? You can go out there and you can take lines that nobody has ever seen at Augusta and you're not penalized if you miss in a big way. You're going to pay if you miss in a big way at wings foot. And, you know, if we rewind four, five, six weeks ago when the putter, when, when Bryson was rolling everything in, he was kind of covering covering up some of those mistakes that he was making some of the proximity that was a bit further than we would hope from a guy who's driving it, you know, 350 yards every single time. And, and now he's kind of lost that feel too. And I don't think Wingfoot makes it any better, right? Like there's going to be some really difficult, challenging reads, challenging putts all week long. I can't really get to Bryson outside of just calling it a dart throw. And maybe he, you know, hard reboots and figures everything out, but I don't have any evidence of that. So the entire $9,000 area, it does kick off with Bryson. He's $9,900. It drops to Webb at 9.7, Cantley at 9.4, How's Your Burger at 9,200, Tony Finau at 91, and Hideki Matsuyama, the king of really difficult courses, not winning them, but playing really well at them somehow, uh, is $9,000. So from this range, I told you before we came on air that I think that everything's kind of setting up for Webb in this circumstance because he's the driver, again, has been so improved. And everyone can talk about, yo, he changed his putter and he was able to putt his way to a player's championship. He has all these wins on Bermuda. The irons have always been good. And he's now gone back to this off the tee game where he's like average in distance, but he's hitting all of the fairways all of a sudden. Like basically in the past eight months, he's really improved his driver, not distance wise, but if you need to be playing out of the fairway and he's one of these guys, Ben, that his putter can go crazy. It's, it's bent grass. that usually gives him the problem. It's not Poe. It's not Bermuda. So I'm not super concerned about like putting splits here with him. And I don't think that he's going to be super popular at a U.S. Open where I think people are going to prioritize distance over anything else. But he smacks his long irons sort of like you know, Stenson and Morikawa do. He can make the putts to go along with it. He has the short game to save himself in a lot of these circumstances. And I don't think he's going to be a very popular play. Yeah, I don't think it'll be popular. Um, people, again, the U.S. Open, it brings a certain type of player. People think like, yeah, you got to be really strong off the tee. 
Webb makes his putts, but it is a Bermuda split. I just, I, I, he's someone I may use in those teams that I alluded to where maybe I take the pressure off driving distance and I look to some other things. I do think that there are going to be times where the way he plays is a disadvantage. If we get as good off the tee game where that's average, of course he can set himself up. But I, I do worry that he gets himself into situations that he can't work out of just because of how this course looks. Yeah, Rick, uh, a former U.S. Open champion in Webb Simpson, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Yeah, no, yeah. One in, what, 2011. He's finished in the top 20 each of the last two years. I think I made the comment before we went live. Like, when when these guys walk off the tee box, Webb Simpson might be the best player in the world. Fairway through green, if that stat existed, right? We'll, we'll, we'll do the strokes gain uh, approach through putting. It, he's unbelievable. And, and really, all he has to do is hit fairways. And I say that like it's very easy on the PGA Tour or, or like it's going to be very easy at winged foot. But the, the difference this week between being in the fairway and being one foot over in the rough is going to be huge. And it's going to be like a half a shot penalty if you miss the fairway. And Webb Simpson doesn't miss a lot of fairways. So I, I like this. I mean, there, there's a couple of different profiles of golfers that can win on long, difficult golf courses. And one of them is just a guy that hits a bunch of fairways and is really good everywhere else. You don't have to bomb it if you hit, if you hit it out of the short grass. So that leaves the rest of the 9K area. If I'm crossing off Bryce and I'm using Webb, I can probably squeeze in one other guy. I think Finau is going to be popular. I think Berger is going to be popular. I think Berger profiles the best, Rick, of any of these guys because he, too, is someone who hits a ton of fairways. But at this particular yeah. style of course, difficult courses, Cantlay usually shows up. He does. And he's been, he's, oh man, he's been a little bit of a disappointment. We haven't seen him play a whole bunch because he had the surgery on the, uh, on the, what was the nasal surgery after Genesis. So we haven't seen him play all that much. I, I like Berger cause he's so solid in every aspect, but I mean, Hideki, you mentioned him, Pat. I mean, he, he plays well, not only at us opens, but he plays well on difficult golf courses. He's won the Memorial. I mean, when you roster a guy like Hideki, you kind of just have to close your eyes for four days and don't watch the shot tracker because he's going to be stuffing everything to five feet and he's going to be missing a lot of them it's like very difficult to watch and sweat but when when sunday evening comes and he finds himself in the top eight the top five you're like oh okay yeah hideki did it again i don't know how much actual win equity he has at a u.s open but he just continually puts himself on the first page of the leaderboard yeah just looking back at his u.s open results 21st 16th second miscut 18th 35th 10th so he just kind of shows up every single year or ben should I be using Hideki over like a burger or a Cantlay or a Finau here? Because I think he'll be the least popular of those guys. Yeah, I mean, I think I have Finau ahead of him, but Decky's a guy, listen, if he can stay out of trouble, the problem with him, he's another one. When he doesn't have it, I don't know if he can hold it together and shoot. I know this sounds crazy, but like shoot 73 here and get <laughs> out. Like he, he can't shoot 82. Uh, that's not going to get it done. And Decky has times where it's just the driver is off, he's in the rough, he hits it out, he's got 75 yards for birdie, hits it to 20 feet, and he either makes a bogey or a double because he three-putts. Like, that's not going to fly. Now, long-term, if you want to zoom out, certainly when he was in form in 2017, he took apart Bridgestone. He was second in a USO. Like, he has the pedigree to compete in a place like this, even at the BMW with his luck box around the green game. Uh, we saw it a couple weeks ago. 
I like him as a tournament play, but I trust Finau more, even though that sounds crazy in itself. Uh, looking back at the past 24 rounds overall that these players have played, this is really easy to do on FantasyNational.com. Slash Mayo to get yourself 20% off. Get a, get a membership today. Get a weekly. Go test it out for yourself or get an annual. Take you through next year, too. It'd be great. Uh, but with the settings of rough length, long, and difficult scoring relative to par, uh, he is 27th in strokes gain total, but 4th tee to green which i find really interesting we know that the putter is always going to hold him back but he's not a disaster when you get him off bermuda if you're on bent or if you're on poa i mean you're going to have some bad putting rounds but they don't frequently happen as often where he just completely puts himself out of a tournament so that is somewhat encouraging if i just look at those parameters and look at tee to green over the past 24 rounds it's dj rom woodland hideki scotty scheffler paul casey justin thomas i mean Two of those are three of those guys are pretty decent values. Four of those guys are pretty decent values. If you want to fade DJ and Rom and go with the other one. So I think I might be leaning Hideki here, Rick. I, you don't have to sell uh, sell him to me. I'm I'm kind of in on Hideki. I mean, we can we can get to Scotty Scheffler, but since you mentioned him, like you okay, if if Xander is maybe one of the most popular golfers on the slate, I think Scotty Scheffler probably also fits that category too. He's coming in at eighty two hundred dollars. He's got a couple of fourth place finishes coming in, and he he finished second in the shadow leaderboard at the Tour Championship. If everybody started at zero, the one that Xander won, Scotty Scheffler finishes second. So he's been on an unbelievable run. We've seen him do it a difficult golf course i think he's another very popular option this week i really like scotty Scheffler. i'm gonna bet him to win at like i i got him at 60 to 1 already i'm curious to see where the odds readjust to come monday but he's in this eight thousand dollar range that you talked about so the entire range itself is fleetwood day scott tiger reed rose fowler scheffler hatton hovland and matthew fitzpatrick i have a lot of guys i really like in this area and they all kind of tend to be towards the bottom end ben like i like scheffler a lot i really like hatton i like fitzpatrick for the first time ever like this entire range kind of does it for me like you can sell me on adam scott if you wanted to we all know the u.s open acumen of tommy fleetwood although he's been absolute trash uh justin rose is someone who i I don't even know what his deal is right now it looks like he went back to england and does that mean that he's like do you have to quarantine when you go to the states or is that like a rest of the world thing i don't know if we have rules anymore um (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. He's been off. There's a couple guys like all these guys that had terrible seasons. Like what is what has Ricky been doing? What is Rose? They didn't make it uh, to their normal. It certainly weren't at Eastlake. Um, but you, you mentioned a lot of guys. I'll go with my favorite. It's Patrick Reed. No doubt about it. Uh, he's built for this. He's actually low key been better than I thought off the tee. He's gained in seven straight. The rest of the game is erratic, but that comes with Reed. He grinds. He makes, you know, the most out of nothing. And, and he's someone that I love knowing, you know, he, he can grind out a 71, a 72. He is fantastic at holding rounds together uh, when he doesn't have it and making putts when you need to, which we know you're going to have to make a lot of 8, 10 footers for par here. Yeah. In this range, Rick, do you look more for like the prototype of the player rather than recent form? Because when we think like grinder type course, it's going to be difficult. I think Reed. I think Hatton, even yeah. Paul Casey is someone who kind of pops up for me just because if putting's going to be difficult, well, it's no big deal for Paul Casey. He sucks everywhere putting. Yeah, that's, it's, it is interesting. I think you kind of have to look at these guys a little bit individually. I, I love Hatton, right? I mean, you go back four months, um, he was like, on, on pace for one of the best seasons ever. He had all of his regression, which we knew was coming. All of his regression was in like two weeks. And now he's like right back on track. He wins 
He won at API earlier this year, uh, which is one of the most difficult golf courses that we see. But uh, you mentioned you mentioned Matthew Fitzpatrick, and I, too, do not like Matthew Fitzpatrick. He is like the opposite profile of a guy that I normally play where he does it all kind of with the flat stick. But you look at just how he gets it done at difficult golf courses. And you're talking about third at Mirfield Village, which was a bloodbath. You're talking about a sixth at the BMW Championship. That was Olympia Fields. That was an absolute bloodbath. I mean, he just seems to find a way to get it done. Uh, so you could convince me that that's a pretty good price on a guy I normally don't play in Matthew Fitzpatrick this week. Uh, does it seem like this top end of the 8K range is going to be an absolute dead zone? Because I much prefer the lower eights and the higher sevens to like, I like Adam Scott. I like Ricky Fowler. I like Tiger Woods. I like Jason Day and all that. But I'd rather save the thousand bucks and use guys I think are better right now. Yeah. Do we have to talk about Tiger? Like what, like what, I don't, I don't really like Tiger here. There's no outside of the fact that I'll be super stoked on Sunday evening. If he raises the trophy, I'll be, I'll be out in the street, but like there's no evidence that the way that he has played in this calendar year would translate at all to a U.S. open. Right. So Ben, you kind of mentioned it when we were talking about putting before we came on air that, you know, maybe Sergio had been running hot when he was only losing <laughs> two strokes per round on the greens. Like Tiger has been a, abysmal with the flat stick awful uh yeah his irons are, are tuned in it's just i mean he he can't find it and it's been uh unlike what you can live with like when you look at bryson tiger is not losing you know a ton of strokes on the greens he had one horrible one early in the year but it's just like steadily losing a couple strokes every week and that's to me even worse because i don't know how you get out of that if you want to if you have a, a meltdown at a certain course and you get right back at it okay you throw that out but there's nothing that I see that Tiger's suddenly going to turn it around. Of course he can, but he's really struggling uh, with the putter. And without that, I don't think he can compete at all. If you had a favorite of these upper guys that wasn't Patrick Reed, I think for me, it would be Adam Scott. Although, you know, I'm very tempted to use Tommy Fleetwood, although he has been God awful since the restart. I don't, I don't understand what's him and day just randomly lost like, 30 strokes with the approach combined lately. I don't, I don't know what that is. I I'm, you know, kind of being serious. It's hard to tell. Normally I would say Fleetwood, but I would have to say Scott by default, just because his game is a little more well-rounded. And I, I can't even imagine what you get with the approach when we look at Fleetwood and day right now. Uh, if you go to Tommy Fleetwood's uh, player profile, Rick, you will see minus 6.6 strokes lost at the Northern Trust, minus 6.3 at the Wyndham. He made the cut that week, too, somehow. He's been putting the lights out and saving himself. Is there a chance that he gets us back together? And do you think people even care about this? And they'll be like, oh, U.S. Open, Tommy Fleetwood, I'm in. I actually don't know. I, I, I think that the way that the salaries are, I feel like in previous years, Tommy Fleetwood was like an obvious, not an obvious like plug and play, but he fell in a much more natural uh, salary tier when you were building lineups. I, I think this is not as natural, right? You can, you can spend up uh, and get, and get Xander. You can get Colin Morikawa. Then you jump down to the low eights and you build around, you know, uh, the Hatton and Fitzpatrick and Scotty Scheffler. And, and that top of the range is kind of a dead zone. So I don't know how many people are just like, Oh, us open, let's fire up Tom because he hasn't been on the top of leaderboards recently. We haven't seen him play a whole lot of golf since the restart. I, I, 
I don't know. I don't think he's going to be as popular as we've seen in, you know, U.S. Opens or majors in the past. Yeah, I'm curious to see what goes on. I'm probably just not going to use anyone from these upper eights, to tell you the truth. I might use Reed because Ben may have talked me into him. But again, I'm going <laughs> to hammer that low end. Like, I think that there is a viable strategy this week that if you wanted to fade everyone and you wanted to build this team, you could go Scheffler, Hatton, Fitzpatrick, Casey, Answer, Woodland. You could build that team. That team's not bad. Well, now that you said it, you're going to split the Millie uh, 250 ways, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see if anyone has the guts not to use anyone above $8,200 in their lineup. I'm going to have my doubts about that. We'll see if I end up doing it, but I just really love this range a lot, which means it's going to be absolutely terrible. And I know everyone else is going to love this range as well, but like last guy at the even 8,000, we all kind of like Fitzpatrick. We all like Hatton. Scheffler, we know, is going to be incredibly popular, but Ben, big dick Vic, what do you think? Oh, boy. One of the crazier – I mean, he is just the perfect poster boy of why golf is so wild. <laughs> the guy was a clinic tee to green, literally three of the most dominant tee to green weeks we've seen. And then randomly, it all stopped. And the minute it stopped, his putter out of nowhere heated up. Um, he has been average at best. I'd say slightly below average tee to green for the past month or so. He's shown he can do it. I mean, I remember when he got crazy hot. I believe that was a U.S. Open, wasn't it? Yeah, it was at Pebble last year when he got it going. Yeah, um, but maybe, in, you know what? In a, in a tournament like the Millie, I actually don't hate it because he fits. Uh, he creates leverage on aggressive bomber stacks that I, I think most people aren't going to look to him. So I'm kind of more interested as I talk this through, even though clearly I think the pertinent play are the guys around him with a little more, you know, polish and playing a little better right now. Well, the one thing, Rick, that he does bomber wise that no other bomber besides like Scheffler actually does is he hits a bunch of fairways. Oh yeah. He, he's the rare combination of, uh, of distance and accuracy, right. That we get, that we get on the PGA tour. And, you know, I think this is his first U S open as a, professional i believe last year he's an amateur he's the low am at pebble beach yeah so this is the first time he's going to play it as a professional i, I think the good news is from the, the short career that we have seen from victor hovland he profiles as one of these one of these great you know fantasy guys right just just absolutely kill it from t to green he hasn't been as good recently but even when he hasn't been as good like he hasn't really killed you anywhere right i mean he had a top 20 at the northern trust he finished you know 33rd at the pga championship these are big fields uh deep fields challenging golf course like i don't know I, i'm i'm probably more warm on victor hovland just because of the way that he profiles over the long term uh, and i can kind of write off a lot of that short-term stuff and say okay he can he can get it going in a week like this where it's going to be so critical uh to use that skill set which is rare distance and accuracy uh the one name from this range that we didn't mention i i suppose we should say his name briefly uh rick ricky fowler I don't know. I mean, this, this, he, so he's been going through this like swing. I don't want to call it a swing change, but like the alterations of his swing since February, uh, since January and his, his big, uh, I don't want to call it a miss, but he's afraid to go left, or at least he was afraid to miss left, which is a really difficult thing uh, on any PGA, uh, on any PGA tour golf course, let alone a major championship. Now, I think the, the optimism is he's been trending in the right direction. I think he's getting closer and closer. Uh, so the last couple of weeks that he hasn't played, maybe he's been able to dial it in. Maybe he's at that 100% point. I, I'm, I'm not ready. To, I, I need to see it first for Ricky Fowler. I think he's trending in that direction. I just don't think I'm ready to deploy him at a major 
major championship for a guy who's going through known swing changes without seeing them first. Yeah, Ben, I mean, there's probably no better leverage play. Like Tiger and Ricky, I assume, are the two guys no one's going to use in the eighth. <laughs> what a world. Yeah, That's I mean, crazy. I still, I vowed <laughs> to throw out all my orange clothes after St. Jude, and I still have a little, obviously, with this year. I just, it, it's always something with him. I mean, there's just been so many tournaments where he's out of it after Thursday, then he shoots a, a fantastic round on Friday. There's so many tournaments where he's in the hunt and then Sunday comes and he just, he loses a ball or it's something ridiculous. He needs to get back to being one of the best putters in the world. I think that would take the pressure off what is never going to be a dominant T degree game. I'm going to have some Ricky. I always do, but I am not nearly as hot. You know, if this was a slightly different situation, I'd be saying he's my favorite play in this entire field at 8,300. And that's just not the case at this point. Let's drop into the sevens, and I think the first five names are super interesting, and then it kind of goes dead. Harris English hasn't missed a cut at the U.S. Open in his four appearances since 2012. Uh, He doesn't necessarily play in them every year, but this is the best year that he's been having. I think that although he's been a popular DraftKings play for a while, that just seeing his name amongst all of these other names, like the defending U.S. Open champion, who's $100 cheaper, is just going to push a lot of people away from him. I haven't really decided on him yet, but I think that Casey is sort of the distance accuracy profile. He's actually the best at that of anyone in this field, except for a guy who's just slightly cheaper, and that's Matthew Wolf. And answer is someone who hits a bunch of fairways. Like, I'm having a tough time picking between Casey, Woodland, Answer, and Wolf. I probably can only end up with one or two of those guys. And Rick, I don't know what to do. Yeah, it's interesting. So I think... Um... I have a little bit of a blind spot and maybe the models have a little bit of a blind spot for Matthew Wolf because uh, I really believe that his game in the last three or four months has matured a lot faster than it did for the first 12 months of his, you know, very young career. And, and in a good way, I mean, he's just been, he's been really good. He's been dialing it in. Remember he won, 3M last year and didn't have another top 10 for a year. Like that's, that's not going to happen again. Like he's, he's going to start piling up top 10, top 15 finishes. He has the weapon, the ability to bite off a huge chunk of wings foot that goes a long way. Now, can he keep it in the fairway? Can he uh, make enough birdies? Sometimes the wedges get a little wonky here and there, but I'm, I'm really bullish on what Matthew Wolf has done in the last 90 or last 120 days, it seems like a completely different guy than we were talking about last year. So it's hard when you look at a full range of his results, you have to kind of, uh, you know, take a little, little bite-sized pieces off of the most recent part of it, Pat. I, I'm, I'm very bullish and very warm on Matthew Wolf moving forward. It just, it's the combination. Uh, if we're going to like Scheffler, we're going to like Hovland yeah. because of these traits, the distance plus the accuracy, Ben, like, no one hits it. He's third in this field in driving distance and over the since the restart and 32nd in driving accuracy. Like that is a lethal combo at a U.S. Open. It, yo, there's no doubt. And I echo everything that Rick just said. I was like fairly certain that Matthew Wolf was going to be a guy for the immediate future where he just like takes apart easy courses. He takes apart the same courses. Like he's going to mm-hmm. have some repeat wins and he's just not competitive at places like Memorial, at Olympia Fields, at U.S. Opens, because he just can't handle it around the green and with the putter. He has made significant strides. He was 22nd at Memorial. He was 16th at the BMW. He leaned on his off-the-tee game. Nothing else was stellar, but he didn't lose you know, an insane amount of strokes elsewhere. So uh, Normally, I would say this would be easy. It would be Paul Casey of the three for me. Matthew Wolf has really shown that he's more well-rounded than I give him credit for, and he can handle 
what is going to be an insane test for these guys. So uh, after Wolf, then amongst the other three guys, Woodland, Answer, and I'll even throw Casey and Harris English into that too. Who would be the next one up for you? Do you think? Oh, it'd be Casey. Um, <laughs> he's just he's pedigree, no problem, well-rounded. I mean, Harris English is not even. I'm not considering him in the field, so that there's only four for May. <laughs> um, he, there's that's never going to happen. Uh, Woodland and Answer, I, I'm kind of indifferent to. I think Answer's a, a fine driver, but a, a solid player. I just, as you talked about, Pat, you can't play everybody. So Casey for me, and then Wolf is creeping up, honestly, to be to be a, a lot more owned in my lineups than I originally thought. Uh, Rick, what do you make of this range? We can even go below this too and throw in Lowry and Louie. I just kept off Louie for Ben because I know he would just Smart. say Louie. Uh, so I'll ask you, who probably has a bit more objectivity on the matter. Yeah, I mean, I'll make the case for Harris English, right? I mean, if you look at at the restart, so June whatever, 8th, we came back on the PGA Tour. Uh, he ranks 8th in strokes gain total in that stretch, and he's like the only guy under $8,000 in this field that is in like the top 25 since the restart. I mean, when you just look at getting the ball in the cup, right? Strokes gain total, how you're comparing against the rest of the field. Now he does it in a way um, he's not as short as someone like a Brendan Todd. I mean, there's few are, but he's not great with the driver, but he has a great short game, right? He can get you up and down in kind of some of these awkward situations that a U.S. Open presents itself. And and he's not sexy. He's 7,900 bucks. I don't know what his upside is. He kind of won the B flight uh, with, with uh, DJ at the Northern Trust. He was came in second, 11 shots off the lead. So that might've been his ceiling we might have just seen it a couple of weeks ago i don't know but i i think we got to put a little respect on harris english's name he's been really good uh for for three months i guess my issue with english is is that he's not a great driver of the ball and when you even think about someone like brennan todd or webb simpson at least they're almost certainly going to hit a bunch of fairways even if they don't have much distance harris english can be like straight up bad off the tee it's not like he's an accuracy maven who doesn't hit it all that far he can hit it pretty far and sometimes he hits some fairways but other times he is just pure shanking it Uh, and that would be my biggest fear with him versus some of these other guys in this range is the consistency with the driver rick He's 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 very average off the tee. 65th in driving distance, 77th in driving accuracy. He's essentially the average tour pro when it comes to that. Uh, but he's much better in other situations. So I, I agree. If he has a bad week and he starts missing fairways, it's it's. I was gonna say it's gonna be a long week. It'll probably be a short week for him. He won't make the cut. But it, it's it's. I I like the rest of his game and he's proven it over the last three months that I think we sh- we should be a bit more bullish on him. So rest of the sevens, Ben, once you get below that like mini tier that I really like, where are you looking? Because I did see Henrik Stenson at 7,200 bucks, and I was just like, huh, Henrik Stenson, huh? He seems like he's good at U.S. Opens. Uh, His game is nowhere to be found right now. But like Sergio's in this range. Maybe he can make a putt. Who knows? Uh, Lowry's in this range. Maybe he won't miss a cut. Like there's a lot of name value that's a bit cheap here, but I don't know if I'm buying into it. Nothing that really like jumps off the page. You've got a lot of big time players with, as you mentioned, games that are not translating. I mean, Stenson has been just, I mean, he hasn't played much, but it hasn't been good. Sergio, I mean, he got the short week, so he won't be rushed, (laughs) but that's not really great. He hasn't, he hasn't gained strokes putting since the restart. And there's no reason to think that he will next week. Having said that, he's to me, you know, when you look at what you need to do off the tee, I feel pretty comfortable with him there. 
And then you've got like the Bubba's, the Neiman's of the world who are interesting and, and Neiman made strides, certainly played fantastic at, at a brutal track the other week, but uh, this is not a great range for me. I, I really don't have much to say. There is one guy that I find really interesting, and I find that his value is kind of hidden in the stats that we just normally look at. If we look at strokes gained off the tee, it's not very good. But, Rick, if you look at Sungjae, for example, you'll see that he's one of the few players that is an above-average distance player and a well-above-average accuracy player, and he found something at the Tour Championship with his irons. It was the first time in a really long time that happened. Is it just a blip is it an aberration or is he back to being sung because no one's going to want to use sung but i think he profiles really well for us opens yeah i mean th- like if you look at just further than the restart sung phenomenal right i mean there's a reason he was corn fairy tour player of the year there was a reason he was rookie of the year there's a reason he's trending towards just being at east lake every single year and he told us uh, that he found something with his irons at the tour championship the ball he was hitting was a bit heavier uh, it was it was much uh, more of a piercing ball flight which is what he was going for and i think if you look at his ability to compete on difficult golf courses well he wins at the honda classic pga national that's one of the most difficult courses that we see on a yearly basis. He follows that up with a top five at Bay Hill. Again, a very difficult golf course. Those two finishes for me go a super long way. And you are getting a pretty good price for a guy who has, I mean, I don't know what his upside is at a major championship, but we've seen him contend in some of the biggest fields. We saw, we saw him play extremely well at the president's cup. I don't think there's a stage that is necessarily too big for Sungjae, uh, especially as he continues to mature. So yeah, I'm 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 loving it, Pat. I'm I could absolutely back Sungjae this week. Yeah, I'm gonna go in on Sungjae at 7,500 bucks and leave the against the instincts that I want to have. Ben, I want to use Sergio. I really do. I kind of want to use Jordan Spieth, but I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna prevent myself from doing it. Even Billy Horschel, who seems like a perfect U.S. Open style player, just you know, fairways, greens, and regulation, two putt for par, go about your way. But I, I just I. I like that Sungjae can get himself out of a jam if things do go awry, because there was always a thing, like, even when he was playing poorly, like, he would still, like, basically find ways to make the cut most of the time. Yeah, I mean, Sungjae, he's had some, you know, post-restart, he certainly had a stretch there where he kind of lost it, but to to me, the thing I'll say about him, I actually like him more for a bet, Uh, just because the stats are all over the place. I think the upside is not the problem. I'm just worried about, you know, he's He's a guy I, I could look at his stats, and if I had to bet, where would you feel most confident he gains in terms of off the tee approach around the greener putting? It's not, there's not one spot where I'm like, all right, he's certain to gain here, and we got to worry about this. You got to worry about everything. But on the flip side, he's shown the ability to gain in all four recently. Like, so no glaring weakness, no glaring strength. To me, that's more boom or bust. And when you're like that, it's always appealing. If you believe in statistical models, it will tell you that Bubba Watson has a very good chance this week and is completely undervalued. I will be taking a pure fade on Bubba Watson at U.S. Opens as he is a disaster at U.S. (laughs) Opens historically. So just pass on him. And I I guess that brings us to the name that I don't know if people are going to go with or not. But Rick, what do we do with Brendan Todd? Do we just use him? 
I love Brendan Todd. First of all, if we could figure out a model uh, that took the mental side into it, I think Bubba would not rank as highly as he does on the physical side. Uh, I, I love Brendan Todd in this situation, right? He is a slightly, I guess maybe not, maybe more than slightly worse version of Webb Simpson, right? He's one of the shorter hitters on the PGA Tour, but he finds a lot of fairways. And look at the results. Uh, you're talking about three of the most difficult golf courses that we've seen at Olympia Fields. He finishes eighth there. TPC Harding Park, you got to hit the fairway there. T17, Mirrorfield Village, T22. So three top 25 finishes at places that in theory on paper should not be good fits for Brendan Todd because of the way he plays. But it's just like he does it differently. He hits so many fairways at an incredible rate. And then he knows he can hit his long irons. He can get it up and down. Like I, I'm very much in on Brendan Todd, who has proved more le in the last season uh, than we could have ever imagined about his game. I, I don't know how we can overlook it for the, for the value at this number. Well, how, how about the discount Brendan Todd's at this point of their careers, Ben, you have Zach Johnson who continuously make cuts at us opens somehow. Uh, and Matt Kuchar, who, for the first time at a major, I think since drafting started having millionaire makers might not be like a free square for people. Yeah, listen, there's a lot of those guys. I, I would throw in for me, even Ian Poulter, who is he's certainly not playing great, but another guy who can do a lot with the putter, not going to grade out well when you're looking T to green. Um, it's tough. I listen, Brendan Todd, the results are the results. The way he's doing it makes it almost impossible for me to think that he can continue to do it, but there are guys and he's certainly one of them. Their blueprint is just different. Uh, and it's more sustainable than it would seem. It's still a lot of pressure when you, to me, like Brendan Todd has to gain a sizable amount of strokes putting, uh, or he has absolutely no chance. There are other guys that don't need to do that when we're talking about just like even competing, that's tough, but it is, he's more likely to do that than most. So I get it. I'm just not, looking to jam those guys in a ton i'd rather roll the dice with the aggressive hitters see i i think towards the lower end of this pricing i'm going to play a more floor route because it is a u.s open okay. and i'm going to lean more on fairways than actual driving distance so like fairways and short game could be a decent strategy just to grind out pars if i'm not looking for birdie streaks or guys trying to drive par fives and two because that's just not going to happen it might happen at one of the par fives the other part five, that's completely out of the question. So, Rick, there is this little tier of Kucher, Stenson, Zach Johnson, and all of a sudden, Martin Keimer's playing pretty well in your <laughs> Yeah, I every time I refresh Twitter, I feel like I see Martin Keimer's name uh, in contention on the Euro Tour. It, it is interesting. I mean, none of these guys move the needle that much for me. I do agree that the strategy is get guys that might not kill you down here, right? Which I don't think Zach Johnson necessarily kills you. He finds a way to hit a lot of fairway, or, uh, hit a lot of fairways. He finds a way to contend uh, or at least make it to the weekend of U.S. Opens. He's probably the guy that I give the biggest nod to. Uh, I mean, then you start looking at at Cooch, and I mean. Even Siwoo's here. He's been, I mean, he's not your floor guy. He's not your high floor guy. Um, and then Leishman, who who broke uh, Tory Pines by doing it the wrong way, uh, has, you know, regression has found Mark Leishman. He's been one of the worst players on the planet uh, in the last handful of weeks. He's a guy I couldn't, I couldn't touch. So I don't, I don't love this area, Pat. I don't think I'll be getting uh, a lot of investment in the bottom of the sevens. So uh, the, the final guys in the sevens, Ben, uh, like Norin noted hard course player, but has been sort of like Leishman, how Leishman won Tory Pines. It was like, that's not how you win golf tournaments. Then you just look at Alex Norin's stats. You're like, he shouldn't be playing well at all, but he continues to like chip, 
chip in and make all of his putts. It's been really weird how he's piecing everything together. Uh, Cameron Smith has been playing a little bit better as late. Danny Willett is another one you would expect to play well at hard courses, but he's been just in the trash lately. Like, I don't know what to make of this bottom end. Like, Matt Wallace might actually be the guy. I know he's kind of away from, he's a more aggressive player, but his short game bails him out. And if I flick back over to who has played well on difficult courses with really, really long rough. You're going to see Matt Wallace's name pop up near the top of that. He's 17th in strokes gain tee to green and 6th in strokes gain total. I kind of like Matt Wallace. Uh, yeah, I don't mind that. I mean, this is a range full of guys that the stats are all over the place. Um, and I just, I don't know how safe anybody is even down here. Like, I get the the logic of like, these guys, you know, hit some fairways. They're going to make some putts. They're not going to blow up, but you could end up scoring practically nothing with some of these guys if it plays that hard. Uh, and for me, I know they're not in the seven. They're at 60. Like the EVRs of the world, I think, are not that much more risky, but they present a little more upside just because of the firepower they possess off the tee against some of the guys we just talked about. Uh, it's more, like I said, it's more of a floor play that I'm just, I'm really emphasizing more than any other week. I mean, you should always be trying to get all your guys through the cut, but these guys seem like they could be like T49 this week. And I don't know if that's going to end up positive or negative. Like Rick had said, like our guys going to outscore other players that make the cut who end up missing the cut. I don't know if they end up with like an Eagle somehow, they probably will. But if we drop down into the sixes, if we talked about that stars and scrubs lineup build, this is where you're going to have to go. Uh, And the two guys really that kind of pop off immediately, Rick, are the two guys at 6,900, and I don't feel good about either of them, but it's Shez and Corey Connors. Like, they're hitting the fairway. Yeah, I, I think – so I I understand why Chez might be one of the more popular options, right? He's got a, a pretty good uh, run of success at U.S. Opens. He pops up at a recent WGC event. I, 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 I'm not as optimistic. I, I think I like him. I don't love him. I mean, you have to remember that, that finish at – uh, at the U S open last year, the third place finish, that was, that was Pebble beach. I mean, Pebble beach, one of the shorter U S opens we're going to ever get now on the flip side, he did play well at Aaron Hills. He finished 16th there three years ago. That's one of the longer courses we're ever going to get at a U.S. open. So he kind of shows he can do it a, a couple of different ways. You're just going to rely on him to pound fairways, uh, hit, hit his hybrids or whatever, uh, to the front of the green pitch up and, and roll it in for par. I mean, that's, that's going to be the strategy for, Revy and a lot of uh, these other guys down here. So I, I think he's the one that I, I think will get a lot of a lot of looks at sixty nine hundred dollars. I think they're warranted, but I just don't think they're necessarily as great as we might want to think they are. Uh, DraftKings strategy for this, Ben. If anyone is super chalky in the six K area, you're just good fading them. Yes, there's <laughs> to me no. Now I don't know how much ownership will amass, but if for some reason it, it does, yes, I would. I would absolutely blindly fade them no matter who it is. Uh, so guys that I like going down here, like I'm still torn on Connors, just if he's not hitting a green in regulation, it's an auto bogey. But the good thing for him here at this course is just looking through how the scoring distribution works is that not many holes you make like triples. It's just like death by a million bogeys. Uh, very rarely I hear you're going to see like a lot of doubles or a lot of triples. It'll just be like five bogeys in a row. And you know if he misses greens regulation, he's almost certain to make that bogey, but so is everyone else at this point. So you might as well take the guy who doesn't have that complete downside I would say that Ben Ann is kind of in that same range too, but I like Kevin Streelman 
at this course. Yeah. He's another one of those shorter guys that's going to hit a lot of green or a lot of fairways, hit a lot of greens in regulation. He's not a great putter, but he doesn't three putt a lot either. That if the score is going to be around even, Rick, he's kind of the grinder type guy that I like here. Yeah, he's definitely a grinder. He's, uh, I mean, a seasoned vet. He, you know, he can compete. He popped up the Travelers uh, earlier in the restart. I, I, I like the way that he profiles out. No, no problem there for Kevin Streelman. Uh, what about Jason Kokrak? I mean, Kokrak oh. is sixty-eight hundred. Let's talk about it. Sixty-eight hundred. Three straight top fifteens. Uh, at from Wyndham to the BMW Championship, seventh on tour in driving distance last season. So he can hit it out there a long way. Now he misses a lot of fairways, but. Uh, you know, it's a give and take when you're down here at $6,800. What's wrong with Jason Kokrak? He, since the restart, he is third <laughs> in proximity from 175 to 200 yards. He is seventh from beyond 200 yards. The stats point to Jason Kokrak, Ben. I'm seeing it. He's ranked seventh in my model for this week. And I, I, I can't, I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah. I mean, that's, he's, I, I mean, Jason Kogrick's the kind of guy I'm thinking like, yeah, I may win with them, but like, can I, can I face myself in the morning knowing <laughs> that I roster? like it's more, it's more, something supersede money and that might be one of them, but he is, I mean, Tita Green, he's been fantastic. Again, another guy, like if you would have told me Olympia Fields played that hard, I would have said he's completely dead. He was great. Um, I worry about, you know, his around the green game is, is, is weak. It, we know that it could be problematic. Going to have to do it with the driver. He's a strong driver of the ball. Obviously I would just rather play Thomas Peters. Cause that's what I would rather do. Um, he's a wild man too. So Kokrak's got the stats. I just knowing his profile, having seen a lot of data on him, he could run into a lot of trouble if he's not Chris with the irons. So there's a few guys here that don't have stats because they're either from the Corn Ferry Tour or they've come over from the European Tour. But like Peters is 68. Uh, Hogard, your guy, Ben, he's also 68. And Sam Horsfield, who's been the best player since the restart on the European Tour, he's 68. If you drop down a little bit, Paul Waring, 67, just cross off Paul Waring. But then Will Zalatoros is also right at that number too. And just, I love Will Z, man. Will Z's great. Well, Z, man, yeah, I mean, he's someone, every time you go on Twitter, when you see the doubles, uh, it's always with Will Z. A lot of people rooting him on each and every week. This, well, this he, is tough. He, I think well, it's a well, fine line. I was going to say, Big big Z is like discount Scotty Scheffler this week, isn't he? I, I see how you do that. I just, do you think he can, similar to, to Hogard, like, this is a massive step up. Like, I, I just don't know if those guys can handle something like this. Rick, what do you make of those guys? Like, can Zalatoros jump from Corn Ferry, and like he possesses the right skill set for here? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly. Listen, I think I think Will Z is like the odds-on favorite to be like next year's PGA Tour Rookie of the Year. Uh, when you look at it that way, then and, and kind of some of the. Tr- um, uh, progressions that we've seen some of these guys make, you know, Scotty Scheffler jumps onto the scene. He starts making noise right away. Uh, Sung Jm jumps onto the scene, start, ma- starts making noise right away. I think the, the gap between the PGA tour and the corn fairy tour is as small as it's ever been. The margin is as razor thin as it's ever been. So I give these guys a lot of credit. They play difficult golf courses a lot. Uh, their peers are very similarly skilled as some of the bottom end guys on the PGA tour. And that goes for like Brandon Wu too. I mean, Brandon Wu, very young, uh, just out of college. He, he hasn't played a whole bunch on 
on the Corn Ferry Tour. He won a few weeks ago. He's got a bunch of top tens over there in in the restart. I think these are guys that they look at some of their peers in college. They look at some of their peers on the Corn Ferry Tour, and they say like they're not that much like they're not that much better than I am, or I was better than those guys. I just think that we we have to respect some of the really top end guys on the Corn Ferry. They might be better than some of the low end guys on the PGA Tour who just kind of kept their card, whether it's because of COVID or once you get on the PGA Tour, it's kind of hard to lose your card. So you said Peter's been uh, the madman. He, I guess he's now discount John Rahm at this price. Uh, but, you know, if you set the over-under on clubs broke, it'd probably be over two and a half when it comes down to Thomas Peters. But, like, who are the Euros that you do? Is it, like, Detry? Is, is he on your radar? Yeah, I mean, Detry's the guy. Another one, um, it's kind of the similar conversation that we're having where, like, he's a player. He has no experience over here. I mean, he played it in Punta Cana once. It's tough. Even though I think these guys talent-wise can compete, I just don't know how that's going to translate. Thomas Peters, I know. can. Tra- I mean, he's come in top-end showings at majors before. Sam Horsfield, I think if I had to look. I will say another guy, and again, these are very deep flyers. Ryan Fox is as aggressive off oh, the no, 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 no. I, I, did this, uh, I did this two years okay. ago with Ryan Fox. No, 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 no. no. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it? Okay, yeah. I mean, he is a mega bomber and that could be, yeah, maybe he can't handle uh, a course like this. So I think you want to be careful with guys taking massive steps up. It's This is not a normal situation, and I'm treading pretty lightly. So there's going to be a – I think there's going to be a want to be somewhat sneaky here, Rick, and take some of these Euro guys uh, because maybe they're higher up in the world rankings or they have great finishes recently. And we've seen some Euros play really well at U.S. Opens. Look at, look at Martin Keimer. Uh, he wasn't like a basically a full-time PGA player, but he plays primarily on the European Tour. He has two majors to his credit, and he did it you know, at Pinehurst, but a lot of it was just, let's hit some fairways, let's make some putts, let's, let's go on our way. And you can find that with some of the Euros, but do you think that they'll end up being more popular than like your average PGA player who kind of profiles well for this course by hitting a lot of fairways, be it Tyler Duncan or Lucas Glover or Michael Thompson or Damon Merritt, that type of guy? Yeah, and I, th- and I think we've seen that over the years is uh, the Euro guys are the guys with not a lot of uh film a lot of footage uh, they're the shiny new object right you only need kind of one little thing to convince yourself like if ben just told me in a vacuum ryan fox is very aggressive off the tee i'd be like oh ryan fox Mm. he's very cheap i'm very interested in this that's all i know about the guy and that's what a lot of people are going to hear and they're going to latch on to one thing some of these guys that we see on the pga tour week in and week out unfortunately for them, we have more history on them. And it's like, oh, wow, he misses a lot of cuts. He does this, he does that. It's it's kind of like in football, the backup quarterbacks are better off not putting more plays on film if they want a contract. Just be the unknown. Be the guy that you might be good. I think it's a shiny thing, and I think it does. It doesn't eat up a lot of ownership, but I think it's certainly more than they should, Pat. Well, Detry has two second-place finishes in his past four starts, but I guess the guy to really look at here. I think is the Finnish flash pen, Sammy Valamaki, T10, second, T6, at three really hard courses at the back end of this European swing. Okay, that that is like, <laughs> and I, I, I pay attention over that. I thought they were going to say like Connor Simi or some of these. Sammy Valamaki. Uh, if you're correlating six guys with no pitchers, he's probably at the top of that stack. But other than that, is he is he played over here ever? I don't 
think so. Let's see. He won in Oman, and then he missed a oh, few wow. cuts, but then he went sixth, second, tenth through this swing. Like He's playing as good as anyone besides basically Horsefield right now on the European Tour. No, I don't see anything for him in major championships. He was like Challenge Tour, whatever the PGT is. Uh, then he was on like the Challenge in the Europe. Now he's just on the European Tour, and he's playing great. It's Yeah, I mean, what Rick said, I like Brian Harmon, guys like that, they – they have experience against these players. They have experience in all sorts of situations. I know they're not playing the best, but I'll take the known over the unknown with, with most of these guys every time. Like, I think if you told me someone from this range is going to compete and get in the mix, I would say it's a Domin, a Harmon, like Sun Kang from the cloud somehow, uh, <laughs> rather than, Romain Langeske. Oh, he is from France, though. He, I mean, if you could tell me yeah, that no. Ro- Romain Langeske is smoking the long cigarette under course, then I would be all in on that. Uh, but I might just have to take my guy, Grayson Sig. That's a great name. He's all, here. Uh, all in on Grayson Sig at 6,100 bucks. Not actually going to use him, but just I, I'm rooting for him to play well. Someone like uh, fresh Eddie Pepperell just isn't playing well whatsoever. What about Davis Riley, the king of the Corn Ferry Tour? I hope you're asking Rick because I have no I no <laughs> inkling of that. I go ahead. Yeah, Davis Riley was one of these guys that was catching a lot of steam. Ah, uh, was maybe I don't know. Time is a flat circle. I don't know when everybody was up on Davis Riley. Maybe last year. Uh, I, I do think he, he. I like the other guys better, right? I like the Brandon Ruse, I, Woos. I like Will Z. I, I like those guys better. I don't think you can get me to Davis Riley. The results for me, uh, they don't correlate as much. I don't think he's been as good as some of these other guys. But he was, yeah, a year ago. He, we were probably talking about him as the Brandon Wu, as the Will Z for something like this. And, and you know, there's going to be a guy, there's going to be a guy who is like two under through five on Thursday morning and everyone starts losing their mind on Twitter. Like it might be Davis Riley. Could be. Uh, Tom Lewis rates out really highly for me as does EVR uh, just down in this range. Just kind of going through with Streelman. And then we have the two guys, Rick, our guys, your guy, my guy. Do we just use them here? Do we use Lonto and Munoz and just call it a day? Uh, okay so i gotta tell you <laughs> like th- this kind of started as like a joke but like they're they're kind of good right like lonto <laughs> gains strokes in all four categories which usually gives you a pretty good floor uh he showed that at the end of last season and muñoz who like it, it kills me every single week uh not only has he been racking up you know top 20 i think he finished eighth at the tour championship he finished eighth at the bmw 18th the week prior to that he also has these spurts and we're not going to see it this week at winged foot but he also has these spurts where what was it at at the northern trust he birdies like his first seven holes and you're like oh my god is this guy like what is he doing right now and and it's it's always about consistency with him can he put it together for four rounds but he has been in a stretch of golf right now we're in it hopefully we're still in it that is probably the best four or five week stretch in a while for him. I know he's popped off and he's won on the PGA tour, but I don't think he's put together three or four weeks like we've seen recently, probably in his career. Uh, by the stats in proximity, Ben, uh, I mean, those, both those guys, Lonto and Munoz are more results-based than anything else that they're even across the board. But if we're just looking at ball striking in fairways, I mentioned Tyler Duncan. He actually rates out really well, as does our guy, Matthias Schwab. Oh, yeah. Now we're getting somewhere. So Schwab, (laughs) he's come over. He's done it in the WGC. He's got a little experience. I don't mind him. Andy Sullivan, as we're working down, like those are guys at least I've seen good enough to have 
an opinion on. Um, <laughs> some of these other guys, yeah, I, I don't. Hey, Besson, who is here? God, there's a lot of names in this field. Uh, I don't know how much I'm going to have to dip in the lower sixes, but if if you do, it's honestly not that bad. I don't think these guys miss cut equity is that much lower or higher, I should say, than the guys right above them. Well, I guess that goes back to the first question that I kind of asked you. Are you now considering a potential Stars and Scrubs lineup bit? Yes, I, and I, I say this a lot on this show. I When I say that, I don't mean just like, I'm going to take three guys like north of 10K. A lot of times I call it hybrid balanced. It's like you take two, three guys in the upper nines, um, and then you take three guys down here, and, and it, it looks kind of balanced, but it's actually pretty aggressive. It's not just complete top and complete bottom. All right, so Rick, if we close off the $6,000 area, um, overall, what do you think is going to be your exposure down in this level? Are you going to try to avoid it as much as possible? And if not, like who are your two or three guys that you think you're going to go with? Yeah, I mean, it's once we started getting into it, as much as I love the idea of stars and scrubs, you have to find the scrubs, which is always a little scary. Um, so if, if I go that route, it'll probably end up being the PGA Tour guys, right? Like the Joel Damons, it'll be like a Brian Harmon type of situation. Uh, the more we went through it, I, I feel as if I will probably be staying away from from the 6k range uh, as much as possible i do like the idea of, of piling in some of the nine the 8k guys and then and then just dipping my toe into that area as opposed to really trying to rely on uh especially some of the corn fairy guys especially some of the euro guys i think that's a tough task so for me i think what i'm going to do is basically make two separate sets of directives when i generate lineups this week so basically i do want to play a stars and scrubs type roster i think that there's something to jamming in some combination of dj rom and justin thomas play two of those guys in a lineup and basically just scattershot a lot of these guys that we talked about the sixes and hopefully i end up with the right lotto combo or maybe i do that for five or six lineups and then kind of twist it back around and do the justin thomas morikawa hideki and webb simpson like two of those guys to start mm -hmm. kind of builds so i can really attack that upper seven lower eight which i really do like uh but i think you can kind of go a just go myriad ways down here like streelman i think is probably my favorite play but i mean you could talk me into keegan you could talk me into not mackenzie hughes for fucking sure fucking mackenzie hughes tom lewis rates out really well like ben kevin nah is, is the time passed me for kevin nah? should i just jump off that bandwagon has he been so good to me that i don't owe him anymore yeah i think i think that's a fair assessment um i just don't think that he is one I, I don't think he can survive off the tee. I just don't. Um, simple as that. But there are guys, you know, we don't, you don't need to reach. It's a fine line between, you know, I don't think you need to go down to Scott Hend. Like that's a little much in the low, low sixes. But these upper guys, Benny on is there. Uh, EVR for me. I, I feel actually pretty comfortable with going to those guys as my last couple guys in. I guess if you're going to go down to the very bottom, would you take putting specialist, Rick? Handsome Australian guy, too. Uh, Curtis Luck? Oh, God. Remember when he was, he was like the number one amateur in the world at one point? And I remember like rostering him being like, he's the next best. Oh, it, was yeah. like right after, it was like right after Bryson. It was like Bryson was the number one am, turned pro, and then Curtis Luck was the number one am. Um, no, I mean, I guess if you wanted a really cheap putting specialist, you could go with JT Post, and he's a guy who plays on the PGA Tour. Yeah, and, and, a, and, and a guy who hits a bunch of fairways, too. Like, he's not going to put himself yeah. in a bunch of trouble. He just kind of reeks. 
Yeah, so I, I, I'm not excited. I'm not sprinting to the window uh, to get either one of those guys, but I'm not uh, posting over luck. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with what you guys were talking about. Like, almost go with the unsexy PGA Tour guy over the upshot Euro or anything like that. You might get more upside out of a Schwab or a Sammy Valamaki or a Detri or a Peters, but, you know, Brian Harmon just might do the trick, right, Ben? Listen, he, he can get it going. He's a grinder. Uh, I think Rick said it best, and I, I'm guilty of it like a lot of people. It's a lot – it's fun and it's, it's sexy to say, like, I'm going to play this guy nobody's ever heard of. It's his first time available in, in these big tournaments. Yeah, but the prudent play is probably playing the guy that we've seen week in and week out grinding against similar competition and not the same course but similar courses – rather than a guy who's playing in, in Oman. Sorry to Oman, but uh, I don't know if that's the same, to be honest. Uh, last three starts for Brian Harmon. 27th at the Wyndham, 11th at the Northern Trust, 12th at the BMW. He did a lot with putting at the BMW, but he was able to grind out a lot of pars, and that's just what you would expect, like, from him like his around the green game is always so good the approaches are hit and miss but if he's going to be hitting fairways like he he just reeks of like t27 in this field doesn't he yeah do you know that would be incredibly valuable too like if that it, it that would be so useful so if that's what you think sign me up and that is all you're going for you don't need upside find the weekend and live to fight another day all right, guys, I think we've talked through it. So I have a much better feel for what I want to do now, now that we've mentioned every single player in the world uh, and talked <laughs> yeah, through it a little bit. I, I, I was highlighting names as we've gone along. So my cheat sheet's going to be up on dkplaybook.com uh, later in the week. But I have 24 players highlighted right now. Probably going to play 20 lineups. I want to trim that down to like, 17 or 18 i think depending on the builds i want to do but i think we're off to a good start here uh, i'll have my entire column up on dk playbook as well we'll have the betting show the live chat like i mentioned 12 p.m eastern time on wednesday where i'll really finalize everything and hammer it down but rick what sort of content schedule do you anticipate having this week yeah, so Rick Rungard YouTube channel, uh, have the DFS preview. There'll be a betting preview. I've been kind of doing some uh, shorter vids with like sleepers and fades. Uh, I'll do a live chat as well. So there's just going to be a ton of stuff going on uh, at rickrungood.com. And then along with, you know, everything that goes out on Golf Digest and all the other places that that you can find the work. We're, I think we're, I think CBS Sports, we're doing pods and live hits. I mean, basically multiple times a day, all day long so if you if you want to see my face somewhere there's plenty of pl plenty of places to see it <laughs> rick awesome i know you're doing every sport at the moment what about golf specifically do you got coming yeah we're gonna have you know same same type of thing we're, betting previews will be out me and tim frank on thursday uh me and jason roslin on wednesday just breaking it all down projections ownership all those tools from alex himself behind the paywall so it's going to be a busy week in the golf world. It's going to be a busy week in the sports world for all of us, but I wouldn't want it any other way. We'd love to have you guys uh, join the community. All right. I'm Pat Mayo. You can follow me at the PME Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Smash a like to the button. Give me your favorite sleeper in the $6,000 range. Rate, review, and subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Listeners League link in the description of this video and podcast. And do not forget, hustle to become a member at fantasynational.com. Right now, fantasynational.com slash mayo gets you 20% off, and you'll enjoy 
everything going on. I have my first look video where I go through with Fantasy National and show you how I do the research from that. I think you'll enjoy it. Justin Ray is always a good listen, too. So check out all of the ongoing golf, football, and MMA content on Mayo Media Network. Subscribe to that right now, all right? Thank you all for watching. Good luck this week. Someone go win a million bucks. I'll see you next time. Experience! Experience!